0: and my brain's just a little bit fried um but he's a good man and he's going to bring something from god's word today to bless us thank you so much Stuart. can you hear me all right is this working hello should i just shout or should we be amplified Amplify. amplification is working well good morning, good morning. uh it is such a joy to be here. We cannot wait for the weekend away in Ashburnham, a very special place for us um, in my own personal journey and walk with the Lord. Um, and uh, and I've just been threatened by a gentleman in the second row that if this is no good, he's canceling his place <laughs> at that weekend. So uh, no pressure or anything like that. Um, but uh, we, Helen and I cannot wait. We really can't. Stuart, thank you uh, for the privilege of uh, sharing this pulpit. We're going to open God's word together. And uh, I just sense the spirit of God here today, a spirit of unity and a hunger for God. And uh, what a joy and privilege it is for us to meet in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Uh, now, I, I, uh, I have a general rule that um, normally the more times you say amen, the faster I go and the quicker we have lunch. All right. Amen. Okay, so that's going to help everyone. Everyone wins. Um, Before uh, we get into the word, uh, bring greetings on behalf of Helen. Uh, My wife and I, we've been married for 24 years. Um, We've got three kids. Our eldest is 21, uh, studying in Nottingham. Then we have a 15-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. So there are hormones all over our house. Uh, It's never dull. Uh, Bring greetings on behalf of Wellspring Church. And actually, uh, we celebrate on Thursday is the 20th anniversary, or our church anniversary, um, of leading the church that we still lead now, and uh, I'm thanking God for his grace uh, to heal the scars of 20 years uh, of, of uh, leading this church family, and, uh, and they all send their greetings and blessings today as well. Now, there's loads of things I'm passionate about, from Watford Football Club to barbecue steak, Um, There are some more important things I'm I'm passionate about, and that is the unity of the church. I really believe some of the stuff we've been singing about already today, I really believe very close to the heart of God is bringing different people together in unity. And uh, there's something about heaven on earth when when we get on in the church. Amen. And uh, to that end, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book uh, inspired by the book of Ephesians uh, called The Power of One. I've got some of these at the back. And this this was uh, part of experiencing both the beauty of unity in the church in Watford when we're gathered together, but also the pain of church splits and all of that nonsense. And So that's what inspired that book. And this is a recurring theme through our lives uh, because just earlier this year, uh, Helen and I published a book that we started writing about five or six years ago called No More Friendly Fire. This has just been published. And I mention it because, um, you know, in the church, there is still a gender war going on. Amen to that? Uh, Maybe not in this church. Maybe just all the other churches around, there's no issues. But I believe that Uh, Something needs to be said uh, to tackle the uh, militant feminism uh, that has caused so much damage, but also the misogyny and the male domination in the church also needs to be challenged. And we need to not only aim for a spirit-led equality in the church, which is a good start, but I also believe there's something beyond equality that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to model, and that is the synergy of men and women serving alongside each other when the competition has ended between us, and we can actually make ground for the uh, kingdom of God and not fight each other. Uh, Amen. Someone's going to say amen. Well, um, I brought a couple of copies of uh, those books at the back, and you can get those Um, At the end, Um, but I mention those because uh, because it's it's just exciting to see the way uh, when God when you go through some stuff. Let me just say this: Um, whatever anyone brings to the pulpit like this, whatever anyone brings, it's always because we've been pulled through a few hedges along the way. Do you know what I mean? It's because we've been through some stuff on the way. And what happens here is not entertainment. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to persuade you to book, to come on the church weekend away. Okay, I'm not here to uh, educate you. Uh, I really believe something happens when someone's life is is brought to uh, light uh, as we read the Word of God together. And in the mess and in the pain and in all of that that comes together, what might happen today is revelation. Uh, do you know, transformation comes not through education, but through revelation. And I'm preaching today with a view that God wants to bring from some transformation to our lives. Uh, and I know right now where you're sitting, and maybe people even listening to this recording, wherever they are, uh, I believe right now some of you are wondering what the point of it all is. It's a good question. What is this all about? Maybe you're thinking that about your career or your work. And you've got to a point in your career or your life at work, and you're wondering, actually, what is the point? Maybe in your family, you had dreams about what family was going to be like, and you get to a point where it doesn't all work out in the kind of Instagram Kodak moment kind of way. Maybe the Disney dream is long gone, and what you've got is you're wondering, is this is this what it's all about? Maybe your body isn't the same shape and size that it was when you were at your peak. I'm not being personal about anyone here. (laughs) Maybe you get to the point of thinking, "What is it all about?" Well, I believe today, uh, by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit, we're going to be able to pull focus on what it's all about. And to that end, it would be good for us to pray. So, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Father of the nations, God of all creation, timeless God, we come to you today and, Lord, we, we don't need more thoughts in our head unless they're your thoughts. Lord, we don't need more noise in our head and our hearts unless it comes from you. Lord, we don't need noise, we need clarity. Father, we, we don't need entertainment, Lord. We could get that on TV or on our phones, Lord, we we need revelation from you. And God, we want to come to you with humility in our hearts and say, God, would you speak to us? And Father, I want to pray that my words would not get in the way of your word. And Holy Spirit, that you'd do something. And Lord, I pray for those who've got huge questions on their hearts right now. I pray, God, in your mercy, your kindness, your compassion, that you would speak a word into their hearts and minds, that we'd be truly transformative, Lord, that would change the way they see their lives and their days and their work and their worship and everything, Lord. We come to your word with eager hearts and hungry minds. Say, Lord, would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. Amen. So what matters? What is it all about? Well, well, for some of us, when we think about tomorrow, uh, some of the kids are going back to school tomorrow. We're going back to the routine tomorrow. We're going back to work tomorrow, to our place of education, to our homes tomorrow, to caring for that relative tomorrow. And we ask ourselves the question, what is it all about? Well, this is what it's about for many of us. It's about stress. It's about stress. And unless life in Royal Tunbridge Wells is different from Watford, where I'm from, uh, then actually most of us lived a lot of our days, certainly Monday mornings, with a fair amount of stress. It's about stress. And usually the stress is about time. That Usually the stress is we don't have enough time don't have enough time to get the kids to school, don't have enough time to f- complete that project, to get that presentation done, don't have enough time to go through all these emails and to go through all of this kind of work. Uh, and then we, we have this, as you see on the screen already, uh, Doctor Who, th- I love this advert, it's about time. About time to have a, a female doctor, I think was the point. Uh, maybe they'd read the book. Um, it, it's about time. See, the thing is, most of our stress is about time. And, uh, uh, and we're stressed about, uh, we're getting older and some of our dreams are slipping away. We, we have hopes for the future and they seem to extend beyond the horizon. Uh, and we get stressed about time. And even in life in the church and even in our daily life and even in today, we get stressed about time. Well, for, for Doctor Who, it might be about time, but I want to tell you today, When it comes to Jesus, it's about eternity. That we need to pull our focus and broaden our vision and see way, way, way beyond the timeline of our five-year plans. We need to see way, way, way beyond the hopes and dreams for what retirement might look like. we need to to see that there's something that happens after retirement. Can I hear an amen? Uh, That that actually something extends beyond what we can see. And with Jesus, it's always about eternity. And you know, this whole talk is building up to a fantastic time of celebrating our eternal Savior, the Lord Jesus. Because I love to talk about loads of subjects, but there's no subject on the planet I'd rather speak about than Jesus Christ, the risen one, the one who is eternal, the Alpha in the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one that really gets my heart going compared to everything else. I love my wife, but compared to Jesus, she's just my wife. You know, she's amazing. But honestly, there's no one, nothing compares to Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. I to say to you today, if you've got so bothered with today and tomorrow, then maybe God, by his grace, would expand your vision and to get Excited about eternity. That's what we're going to look at today. And today's talk is um, going to thread through. And if it was an episode of Doctor Who, today's talk would be The Mystery of Melchizedek. Should we all say that together? The Mystery of Melchizedek. You have to say it in a low voice. The Mystery of Melchizedek. And somebody's like, Mel, Mel, who? I've heard of Mel Gibson, not heard of Melchizedek. Um, So we're going to look at the mystery of Melchizedek, and this isn't going to make sense until the end, but just hang, you know, stay with me, okay? We're going to start by looking in the book of Genesis. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation in the next 30 minutes or so, trust me. And uh, we're going to start in Genesis, and there's a great passage where um, Abram, the father of the faith, has just uh, received a military victory um, with God's help uh, over a place called Cedileoma, and, uh, and then there's this mysterious happening. It's like a, a thing from another world. And we're going to read from Genesis chapter 14. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So uh, this is what it says in verse uh, 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Cedileoma and all his allies, the king of Sodom went on to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who's defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Then king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. I'll accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, ana Eshkol and Mamre. Okay, so some of you think, wow, what, what is actually going on here? It, it doesn't actually fully make sense. What we're seeing in this glimpse in Genesis is a shadow of a light still to come. What we're seeing here is an encounter with a mysterious figure called Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Well, uh, this is a foretype of foretelling of the city of Jerusalem, the most holy city in the history of God's people, Jerusalem. He's the king of Salem, which means peace. He's the king of peace. It means Melchizedek, the the son of righteousness. So he's righteous and he's uh, the king of peace. And he comes kind of from nowhere and he's a priest. And he's a priest of El Elyon, of God most high. Mysterious figure lands and they share bread and wine. I love this story. Bread and wine. Strange thing. So they, set, they have a ceremony where they sit and share bread and wine. And in response to this encounter, um, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, the one that we don't know where he comes from and we don't know where he goes to. Hello? He's there, he then blesses Abram and gives a blessing in the name of God most high. Wow, kabam. They have this moment, a God moment, with the creator of the universe. And in response, Abram looks at all the spoils of this battle that God allowed him to be victorious in, and he gives him a tenth, a tithe. This is the first mention of a tithe. And he gives a tithe to Abram as a priest of God Most High. You see, he's giving to God, not to Melchizedek. Melchizedek wasn't taking an offering. You know, Melchizedek actually came with bread and wine. He was the one who was giving all along. But anyway, Abram's response is to give a tithe to Melchizedek. What a fantastic story. And I love this because then the story carries on. No further mention of Melchizedek. Wow, an encounter this is about the mystery of Melchizedek. I'm telling you, it's about eternity. Because then we get maybe a thousand more years later, we have King David. King David was the second of the royal line after Saul. He, he was the chosen king, the anointed king. And he wrote many of the Psalms, as we know. And in one of those Psalms, you can tell he's had a glimpse of a kingdom beyond his own. Now, David had a promise of a kingdom that was going to be eternal. That kingdom would never end. And yet he sees even beyond an earthly kingdom. We'll read in Psalm 110. We will read the Psalm of David, or the first four verses of it. And we'll see that he has a glimpse beyond what can actually be seen. And this is what David writes, maybe a prophetic psalm. He says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and he will not break his vow. Then look at this you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. King David foresees an eternal king who's also a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Is this making sense to anyone so much? I'm still not getting it. It's okay. It's all right. You will by the end. In the order of Melchizedek, it's like in the history of God's people, there was this mysterious anticipation of a priesthood and a a royal line that went beyond into the eternal. Because all they could see was human agency and human leadership. Uh, The priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then, obviously, hundreds of years later, we hear about the fulfillment of these prophecies in the personal work of Jesus of Nazareth. He was born and he lived and he served And he went to Calvary's hill and he died on the cross. And hallelujah, he rose again after three days and ascended into heaven. And after this event, we may know the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And before long, you've got thousands of people who are calling on the name of Jesus Christ. And you've got the church, but then not everyone liked it because it upset the priesthoods of the day and the kingdoms of the day to have this group of people claiming that Jesus was the Lord and was their king. And so the persecution came. And it wasn't long, within 30, 40, 50 years of Jesus' ascension, the church is under pressure uh, and they're feeling discouraged. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, over the years, discouragement builds up, doesn't it? Uh, and the clarity about who Jesus is doesn't always stay. Is that just my experience? I'd love to say that I've never had moments where I've taken my eyes off Jesus, but I'd be lying to you. I'd, I'd love to be able to say that I've never felt like giving up on the whole thing, but I'd be lying to you. Because there have been times, even leading a church, when you wonder, what is it all about? What is it all about? We come, we sing songs, People come, people go, people break their promises, people let you down. And, and I've come to awareness over 20 years of church leadership. I disappoint people for a living. That's what I do. I, that, because I can never meet the expectations people place on me. Every day I'm disappointing someone. So you understand, over the years I've been pulled through this, there have been times when I've lost focus on what it's all about. Well, the people in the Hebrew church, the, the church Of around AD 60, AD 65, these people were discouraged as well. And they were thinking, well, maybe I'll go back to the old Jewish ways, the old traditions, because they were comfortable and nice and predictable. Into that context, someone we don't know who it was wrote an amazing sermon called the Book of Hebrews. And it's kind of a mystical, brilliant book. It's got so many levels to it. And we're going to read. Uh, a few more verses from this, and then we're going to unpack this mystery. You see, what he's writing for is he doesn't want the church to give up. And he, he, he's pleading with the Hebrew Christians not to lose sight of the big picture and of the eternal framework of their ministries and their lives. And we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And as you find it in your Bibles, it will come up on the screen. You need to know that this is in the middle of a conversation, a dialogue, a, a speech, if you like. Um, which is also talking about their lives and their attitudes. He's talking about Aaron, the high priest. He's talking about priesthoods. And uh, we'll unpack that in a moment. And just a warning, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to need the help of at least uh, 14 or 15 of you uh, to finish my talk. All right. So um, the quicker you volunteer, the quicker we'll finish, the quicker we have lunch. Uh, We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, the preacher has been talking about priesthood. He's mentioned Melchizedek already. And uh, we'll pick up at the end of one little mini section. Then we're going to read to the end of the chapter. And he's talking about priesthood, okay? This is the traditional Jewish priesthood. And he says this, And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about, he's talking about Jesus, belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. Then verse 15, this change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist, and he's quoting Psalm 110, and the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirements about the priesthood were set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope. Everyone say better hope. Better hope. We have come to a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, and this is quoting Psalm 110 again, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need. Because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Oh. Eight times in chapter 7 alone of Hebrews is this word forever. Some of us, maybe you, have got so busy with today and so obsessed about tomorrow, you've lost sight of forever. He rules and reigns forever. He's established as the cornerstone forever. His position is not in question. Hello? It doesn't matter what the BBC say or Channel 4, Channel 5 or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Everyone can say whatever they like. It changes not a single thing doesn't matter what opinions people have about Jesus in your workplace. In fact, let me say this. It doesn't matter what opinions you have about Jesus. It changes nothing about who he actually is because he rules and reigns forever. Hallelujah. Now, just to illustrate this, um, I'm going to need some help. I need eight people initially if you'd like to come here. And you need to uh, look priestly. Quickly come. Uh, don't be shy because I'm going to this will just delay things. So eight priests, come and stand here. You're not going to need to say anything, but I might ask you to hold something. There you go. Come on, gentlemen, look, come on. <laughs> Synergy between male and female. Thank you. Okay, we need eight of you to come here, come and stand here. Okay. Tell me when we've got to eight. How are we doing? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Very good. You can count in Tunbridge Wells. Highly educated. Uh, you two, I wonder if you come and stand here for a little bit. That's great. Um, wonder if you could... You look, oh, you look just the part, actually. Just stand there. Okay. So, uh, these are our high priests. Okay. Do they look priestly? And uh, the first of those has already been mentioned in Hebrews 7. You can have a piece of string. And you're Aaron. Um, and then we have, I believe we've got this order right, then we have Eleazar, um, then we have Phineas. These are so this is Aaron's son. I know they don't quite look like they could be related, um, but there you go. Um, and uh, after Phineas, we have um, Abishua, uh, that's your son as well. It's very male, very patriarchal, that's how it was. Okay, and then we have Bucky, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Any Marvel comic fans know uh, why that's a great name. Okay, so these are the first five high priests. They went into the tabernacle, they went into the Holy of Holies. And one day a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in beyond the curtain and sprinkle with blood. And if they were right themselves with God, they could make the whole nation right with God. Just in case they weren't and they'd been naughty, they, tradition says they had a rope around their ankle to hoik them out if they, if they died in the holy presence of God. And Aaron was the first to go in and survive, and go in beyond the curtain into the very presence of God Most High, of El Elyon, of Yahweh, the Great God of Creation. And when he finished his duties, he passed it on to his son, and they passed it on to their son, and next son, and then this is the first five generations. Do they look priestly? Very good. Okay. Now, um, hold your string. You're going to need it. So then uh, after 42 generations, 42 years, the 47th priest was actually, and uh, some of you will boo at this point. If uh, if you remember the time of Jesus, there was a high priest called Caiaphas. Boo. Some of you know the story. He was responsible um, for very influential, let's put it that way, in the crucifixion of Jesus. Caiaphas was that year was the high priest. He went into not the tabernacle, but the temple into the presence of God on behalf of the people to make atonement. Then a number of years later, what, 30 years later, um, by the time that Hebrews is being written, um, we have um, Jesus, son of Damnius. I love that. What a great name. We have Jesus in AD 62 and AD 63 was the high priest. And the people who first received the uh, sermon to the Hebrews probably they remember going up to the temple and say, oh, who's who's the high priest this year? Oh, it's Jesus. And uh, the next one was Joshua Ben Gamla. Uh, there you go. You can see their um, their pieces of string represent their lives, just a, a short span of a life. Uh, and these, these they, they they were born and they lived and they served and then what happened? They died. They did. And generation after generation, and the whole of the, God's people were looking to them to make things right between them and God. Um, and by the time, it kind of fizzled out not long after Joshua Ben Gamla, um, because the temple was destroyed about 10 years after Joshua. So, you know, Joshua means God saved. So does Jesus. Uh, means salvation. It's about salvation here. Um, but they were the ones who served. You know, uh, pity anyone that puts trust in the wrong Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen? Hello? Pity anyone who puts their trust in the wrong Jesus. Now, I need some kings. I need five people to be kings. Uh, come if you'd like to uh, come forward, please, very quickly. Um, I need some kings. They look very kingly. Okay, one, two, three, uh, four. I need a fifth king. Someone's being prodded. there with a bit. Oh, no, you've just been trumped. Okay, now um, you can stand in front, and you need to start in this gap. Come and line up just here. Um, Come and stand. This is, um, there you go, you can be Saul. Okay, so um, the priests were long established, and then we had King Saul. And uh, then uh, Saul didn't do too well, did he? I really, if, if, if this was a pantomime, Saul would be like, boo, what a disappointing king so disappointing while he was still reigning, then David, we should go, hey. Hey. So David was appointed, anointed, um, and actually amazing promises made to him because of how his heart was. He was set aside, and do you know, the Lord said, from your line will come an eternal kingdom. Um, He passed on to, oh, you're not a king, you're um, to Solomon, okay, there's Solomon, and uh, then we have a gap, so if you can come along this way a bit more. Um, At the time of, actually, you go this way. I haven't really worked this out very well, have I? Caiaphas, you come here. Come this side here. You can move up a little bit. Um, You can be, uh, come this way here, please. Um, You are um, Zedekiah. So you're the last of um, that whole string of kings because then the nations divided and it all got really messy. Um, Zedekiah. So this was the first kind of batch of kings. And to be honest, most of them really disappointing. Really bad kings. Many of them started well and ended very badly. And the Lord—how many times in the book of Judges and Kings does it say—and so and so disappointed the Lord, many because they were idolatrous, worshipped the gods instead of the God who created them. Then, by the time we get to the time of Jesus, um, there you go. Can you come stand uh, here? You can be—and uh, this is definitely a boo—Herod the Great. Oh. <laughs> Interestingly. Herod the Great, the last recorded king of Israel. At the time of Jesus, you have this terrible dynamic going on of a corrupt high priest called Caiaphas and a really, really corrupt, murderous king called Herod the Great. Now, we look at this and we look at the people of God and we say, now what a rogue's gallery! What a disappointment! And yet this is the kind of people that we used to put our trust in. And uh, then, oh, he's, uh, oh, you just had to swap around. Okay, now I need two more people because this is what this passage talks about. And I wonder if somebody can stand, gentlemen, would you be able to stand here and just hold this piece of string? It's not a difficult job. Uh, Come and stand here. And your your name's Alpha, okay? We'll call you Alpha. Could you stand on the step, please, for me without falling off? Thank you. Uh, Just stand there. Okay. So... Just hold it. Omega's coming the other end. I need someone standing there. By the time I've unravelled this, all right? This is going to help somebody today. It's definitely fun for me to do this. So uh, hopefully helpful to you. Is Omega's ready and waiting? Um, Here we go. There we go. Now this is what Hebrews seven is saying, and this is what we should rejoice in. We're not going to cut this because it actually goes on forever. Just hold that nice and high. Okay. This is what we celebrate today the line of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek goes from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega. (laughs) Melchizedek, way before we organized the priesthood was Melchizedek. Way before we established a kingdom. Remember, the Lord didn't even want to appoint a king. Yeah, we asked for that if you know how the history goes. Melchizedek came from an eternal line uh, and then, the, the, from the beginning of, maybe from time eternal, the priest of God Elion, and then together and then goes forever, and Jesus didn't deserve to be a priest because he wasn't born in the right line, but he was a priest from a different order, the order of Melchizedek. What if you could hold it nice and high. I'm going to get but stay there just for a moment. So I want to illustrate to you. That there is another realm, there is another, another order of things that is the eternal order of things. Is that whatever we organize, it is disappointing and it is frail. As we just read in Hebrews 7, is that none of this was ever going to make us perfect. None of this was ever going to fulfill the requirements of the eternal God. But we worship now Jesus who came in the age of Caiaphas, but who was really the priest? It was Jesus. He came in the age of Herod the Great, but who was really the king of Israel? The king of the Jews hung on the cross. You see, the difference is each of these people, hold up your little timelines. They they were born and they lived and they served and they died. And they were born and they lived and they served and they died. Little fragments of life. But Jesus was born and he lived and he served and he died and rose again from the dead. This is Jesus. This is the line of Jesus. So do not lose heart, because the one we worship is greater than everyone that's come before. Do not be discouraged. Do not lose vision, because he is our vision, and it's all about eternity. I wonder if you give a round of applause to everyone here. I wonder if you could wind it up for me. You can have your seats. You can take your seats. Very good. You can keep that as a reminder of how short your life is (laughs) and how relatively insignificant it is. I I came to encourage you. (laughs) You see, I love this. There is no priest holy enough. Only Jesus. There's no king true enough. Only Jesus. And yet in our lives, we try and manage our diaries and manage our budgets and do our stuff. And we look to human leaders. We look to church leaders. And we get so disappointed. I said that I disappoint people for a living. I disappoint myself for a living. And yet we have Jesus, our eternal high priest, our eternal king. So why do we stress so much about today? Why do we make our stuff the main stuff? Why do we set our agenda with such a narrow parameter on it? I believe it's because we've lost sight of the eternal. Lord, help us. C.S. Lewis said this. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get both earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. I believe this is a word for someone here personally. It's a word for us all. It's a word for Tunbridge Wells Christian Fellowship. We, we need a bigger perspective. We, we need to see way beyond. See things in light of eternity. It's about eternity. Just a few areas, I'm going to apply this and then we're going to pray. Today and tomorrow, it's about eternity. This moment, we, we're not living for the moment. We're living for an eternal king and a forever kingdom. But today can make sense in light of eternity. And you know all the stress about tomorrow? And I believe prophetic this is for someone today. You, you feel like tomorrow, Monday morning, someone here today, you feel like a juggernaut is headed towards you. You feel like actually you don't know if you're going to survive tomorrow. I want to tell you, you're not only going to survive, you're going to see whatever trouble it is, whatever diagnosis it is, whatever appraisal it is at work. I don't know what it is, but something feels like it's coming towards you, it's going to crush you. I'm telling you, it will not because an eternal king has you in his hand and he is not letting go of you. So, so don't be afraid. Whatever you do, don't be afraid about tomorrow tomorrow. And know that today makes sense if it's in light of eternity. Make each day count and trust God with tomorrow and live for something way beyond the horizon. God is sovereign and he'll do what he wants to do and we trust him. Amen? Secondly, work and worship. It's a tragedy that we've made work and worship two different things. It's a tragedy we don't realize that what we do on our Monday mornings and our Thursday afternoons, it's all worship, yes? Worship isn't singing, but singing can be worship. Singing isn't always worship. Sometimes singing is just singing, but some there's a time moment singing becomes worship, but you know your work is your worship, what you do, how you do it, how you relate to your boss and the people that work for you, how you deal with your kids and your grandparents all of that stuff is all related to how you do whatever your job, how you answer an email. I want to say that that can all be it can make more sense in light of eternity, but i don't want to do all these forms well, I know you don't but But let's do it for an eternal purpose and let's do it as an act of worship. Our work can take on a whole new level of meaning if we realize that we're worshiping an eternal high priest. And all of creation, all the angels and everyone is is celebrating around the throne of his grace. His eternal holiness. Hallelujah. You know, when you're worshiping Jesus with your life, there's no such thing as a dead end job. Hallelujah. Thirdly, talents and treasure. I love the thought that the talents that God's given us are not going to end at the grave. They'll go on growing into eternity. We're going to carry on growing. The talents, the things He's planted in your life, they're going to carry on growing. But I also want to say this when it comes to our giving, and it would be a shame not to mention this simply because it runs through the whole story. Melchizedek blessed Abram. What did Abram do? He didn't pay a tax. This was before the law. Hello? It's a long time before the law of Moses. This is a principle with a promise. It's not a covenant with a curse. It's not a law with a uh, punishment. It is a principle that comes with a promise. And it was enough for, if it was enough for Abram to do this, then maybe it's enough for us. You know, if, if we would take this seriously, we'd realize that whatever Abram did, then we should probably follow suit with that. He was giving to the priest of God most high. So when he gave money to, he was giving to God a tenth, a tithe of what he'd received. And if you read the rest of the story, remember what we read in Genesis 14, he actually doesn't really hold on to the rest of it either. It's not a law to tithe. It's a great principle though. When it comes to our treasure, what would it mean if we were thinking well i'm not I'm not giving to Tunbridge Wells Christian Fellowship. I'm giving to Jesus <laughs> the offering takes on a whole new level, doesn't it? Oh well, I'll give twenty quid to to the church, but what would I give to Jesus? Wow, well, Lord, if this is for you, you can have it all, and if you having it all means I begin with a tenth, then half the tenth. When it comes to church and charity, you know, the things, the good works we do, they they can either be good here on earth. We can care for the homeless. We We can care for those who are needy. And we can do that with an earthly mindset as if we're just doing something to make their life better here on earth. We can. And that's good to a point, but I want to say to you that our charity and our good works can make even greater sense. when We realize we are bringing the eternal kingdom of heaven on the earth in that person's life. And all of that charity makes sense in the light of eternity. And church makes better sense in light of eternity because we're going to spend the rest of eternity with each other. And I know that's a depressing thought for some of you, but it's true. We're stuck together forever. It makes sense of church if we're not just organizing some Sunday activities, but actually what we're about is we're building a community that is never, ever, ever going to end. Hallelujah. It makes so much more sense. I've got more faith for the church if we've got an extended timeline of our success. (laughs) When it comes to life and love, It makes sense in light of eternity. If we're laying foundations for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, until Jesus comes again. And you and I both are the same. We want when Jesus comes again, him to find us doing what he asked us to do with a good heart and with a love for him. Let's live above the short timelines of our lives and live in the higher line. And I'll finish with this thought. We have Not just now, but forever interceding for us. Jesus, the great high priest. Eternal and at the right hand of God. And when we mess up, still interceding for us. And when you mess up next year and there are things that we're all capable of doing that we don't want to do. And do you know sometimes we do them anyway? Interceding for those things. For those failures, for that brokenness, still making it good in the throne of God. He's gone once and for all into the presence of God Most High, El Elyon. And he's interceding for you and he calls you by name. He's interceding not just for the person next to you, but he's interceding for you. And I say to you today, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've not thrown everything at his mercy, I plead with you. Stop living uh, in the broken lines of broken lives and putting your trust in broken things when there is a a perfect and a complete and an everlasting Savior who wants to invite you into his eternal family. Stop putting your trust in the short term when eternity is available. Jesus is not just a figure from history, but he's the king of eternity. And he is the fulfillment of the mystery of Melchizedek. Then we get to Revelation. And John is on the island of Patmos. He has a vision. He gets a glimpse into the eternal. And he writes the book of Revelation. And in the opening of that book, the first chapter, he makes this... He hears the Son of Man. That's what he says. When I saw the Son of Man, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. If you like, just like an unholy person would in the presence of a holy God. He says this. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I'm going to pray and hand over to the band or to whatever's happening next as Stuart leads us. But can I plead with you and implore you, lift your vision. Open your heart and live for something that goes beyond your timeline and your schedule and your diary. And I believe for Tunbridge Wells Christian Fellowship, this place is going to be like heaven on earth. And people are going to come into the transcendent. They're going to experience the incarnate presence of God in this place. And be aware that tomorrow has no fear worth fearing because Jesus is alive and well in this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for revealing to us uh, a greater glimpse of your son, Jesus Christ, the risen King. And God, I want to pray right now as we worship you, that you'd help, Lord, our hearts to be filled again with the spirit of revelation. God, would you show us again the beauty and the glory of your majesty. Lord Jesus, have your way in this place and receive our praise and receive our lives. And God, I pray a blessing of your manifest presence in this fellowship, Both the central congregation, Lord, and the one in the south as well. I pray, God, that you would bless them. Every time they meet, that your presence would be made manifest. Lord, that your love would be made real. And that people would come into their presence and say, wow, eternity has touched today. The forever kingdom has been made present in this place. Lord, may your presence be the hallmark of every gathering, every prayer meeting, and every leadership meeting.